Hello, I'm Jennifer Chambers, and this is the Resilient Podcast Network. This episode is being released on Valentine's Day, so today is about L-O-V-E. My first story today is about the practice of sending Valentine's Day cards. Though the practice of sending lots of cards did originate in Victorian times, actually in the 1850s, Valentine's Day as a holiday and the practice of love, poetry, and songs is thought to have started in the late 1300s. Chaucer, actually, wrote a love poem to celebrate the engagement of Richard II. It wasn't made just by Hallmark, after all. Here's a different take on what kinds of cards got sent in Victorian times when Valentine's got very popular. They were not all happy. Here's what weird history had to say about it. Yes, many Victorian Valentine cards were adorned with sweet and sentimental masses of Cupid's flora, lace, and sentiments. Like true love of mine, my heart is thine. Valentine's Day also was a chance to anonymously send nasty notes to unbeloved ex-mates, employers, neighbors, lawyers, suffragettes, educated women, pompous men, or anyone deemed worthy of disdain and criticism. These were called vinegar valentines and these missives were hate mail at its taunting and caustic worst. As with other myths about Valentine's Day, it's also not true that Victorians were mushy sentimentalists when it came to love and letters. The cards, which weren't even folded cards, but rather postcards or single sheets of cheap paper, featured a few lines of derisive verse paired with unflattering illustrations. Men and women were both targets of these vinegar valentines, And these vinegar valentines were also called mock valentines or comic valentines. Now, the hard thing about all of these is that to even add more sting, in these days, of course, you pay to put a stamp on your postage and send it. Back in those times, the receivers had to pay for the mail. So the people who got these horrible cards were literally being paid to be insulted. One of the cards had a picture of a snake that was wearing a top hat, and I'll link to it in, in the show notes here. It's, the, the art is quite wonderful. And so the snake wearing the top hat on this one card, the snake was gallantly tipping his hat, and it contained the, this fun rhyme. I'm not attracted by your glitter, for well I know how bitter my life would be if I should take you for my spouse, a rattlesnake. Oh no, I'd not accept the ring, or evermore would prove the sting. Ouch. Another one of these vinegar valentines has a picture of of a Victorian woman who's offering a huge lemon to her suitor, who is also on the card. And it says these words. Tis a lemon that I hand you, and I bid you now skidoo. Because I love another, there is no chance for you. Yikes. Some of these new valentines are a bit different. These days, I saw one that says, I love I love you with all my butt. I'd say with all my heart, but my butt is bigger. <laughs> oh my. There are some funny ones now that are a little bit more tame, like I love you more than the first cup of coffee. Or there's a cute one that has two T-Rex dinosaurs that says, I'd hug you, but my arms are too short. I have a new friend who told me recently that he and his wife went on a dangerous date. A dangerous date had tattoos, bar food, and they even ended up at a gun range. That sounds exciting. I myself am um, either chaperoning a middle school dance or hanging out with heart-shaped pizza with the people that I love, and that's just where I want to be. 
We might top off the day with the old heart-shaped pizza, but it doesn't really matter what we do. It's who we're with, right? Some other interesting things happen on Valentine's Day in history. For me, one of the most important ones is that my state, Oregon, became a state on Valentine's Day in the United States in 1859. Here's a little, a little blurb about that. With the stroke of President James Buchanan's pen, Oregon was admitted as the 33rd state in the Union just two years before it would be torn apart by the Civil War. Oregon had spent 13 years as a United States territory, and, when, and it would take more than a month for news of its admission to the Union to cross the country from Washington, D.C. by a combination of telegraph, stagecoach, and steamship. Another interesting thing that happened on Valentine's Day was that Alexander Graham Bell applied for the telephone patent in 1876. In that year, which was year of America's centennial, a lawyer representing Alexander Graham Bell filed his telephone patent application at the patent office in Washington, D.C., just hours before the attorney for Elisha Gray had filed the caveat announcing his intention to file a claim for his patent of his version of a telephone. Presented with both applications, the Patent Office ended up choosing on March 7, 1876, to issue the first patent to Alexander Graham Bell. Three days later, Bell successfully transmitted speech over the wires when he said these words, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. The legal wrangling between Bell and Gray lasts for years. Another um, interesting fact, Jimmy Hoffa was born today in 1913. Now, while his fate ultimately remains unknown, there's no mystery surrounding the start of his life. He was born on Valentine's Day in Brazil, Indiana. He disappeared from the parking lot of a Detroit restaurant in 1975 and has not been seen since. Also, uh, mob-related, the unfortunate Valentine's Day massacre happened today. Let's move on to some fun Valentine's Day facts and then a little cute story. It's estimated that the United States alone is going to spend $3.3 billion on flowers for loved ones this year. The only other day that beats Valentine's Day in flower sales is Mother's Day. See, personally, I like the live flowers, but they're all good. Of the 124.6 million households in the United States, it's predicted that 43 million of them will purchase flowers. And, of course, the most likely flower to be purchased today is red roses, of course. Would you believe that young people are leading the trend in floral sales? In 2016, 63% of the households that bought flowers were under 35. Here's another fun one. Who says you can't be your own Valentine? 18% of women sent themselves flowers in 2015. Now, if you're ordering a bouquet for someone, have it tied up in lace. The word lace comes from the Latin lacus, meaning to snare or net, as in to catch a person's heart. And here's a funny story. It's funny. It gets, this is one of those stories that gets funnier as I get older. The lingerie store where my aunt works says this, this funny little story. For, actually, this was in, register, in Reader's Digest. The lingerie store where my aunt works was crowded with shoppers selecting Valentine's Day gifts for their wives. A young businessman came to the register with a lacy black negligee. My aunt noticed that the next customer, an elderly farmer, was holding a long flannel nightgown and kept glancing at the younger man's sexier choice. When it was his turn, the farmer placed the nightgown on the counter. Would you have anything in black flannel? he asked. I grew up on a farm, so that's pretty funny. 
Now remember, Valentine's Day, of course, brings a lot of pressure, but I like to think of the concept of universal love for everyone. It doesn't have to be partnered love. It can be self-care, familial love, or caring about friends. I've been trying really hard to work on self-care. And on that note, I wanted to share a little bit of what I'm working on this week. I'm taking a business class. As part of that, we came up with a concept in my small group about how to combat things like being afraid to launch your own program or being anxious about your ideas coming out into public view. Stuff coming out on the internet is, it can be very scary. I have a wonderful group of peers in my business class though, and we're all working on different projects. But the thing that brings us all together is the hope to create something new for ourselves in our worlds. So I figured out how to kind of put that concept on a (laughs) t-shirt. The phrase I came up with is action is greater than fear, and it's the greater than side. So there is a sun with rays going upward, the suggestion of trees at the bottom, and the logo action is greater than fear in block letters. I'm excited to try something new. And firstly, I I love that I live in a time when you can do that just with a a few keystrokes. But I also love the idea of wearing something that espouses something that you believe in, wearing something on the outside. It's funny, I have a lot of tattoos, so maybe I should think about that concept just a little bit more. (laughs) But for the inspirational or resilient part of today's show, I'd like you all to see what action maybe you can take to further your goals this week. As always, feel free to email the show at resilientpodcastmail at gmail.com. And please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have some great interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Um, One of them is a maker. One of them is a really incredibly talented musician. That's just a couple. Oh, and just on a production note, we'll be coming at you each Friday this season with occasional bonus episodes on Wednesdays. I'll throw them at you once in a while. Thanks for listening. See you next time. For my What Are You Reading This Week segment, I got a huge haul today from my local library of books that I could read this weekend. I'm pretty excited. We have a long weekend here. My first book is called Hill Women. It's a nonfiction book by Cassie Chambers, Finding Family and a Way Forward in the Appalachian Mountains. And her small blurb says, after rising from poverty to earn two Ivy League degrees, an Appalachian lawyer pays tribute to the strong Hill women who have raised and inspired her, whose values have the potential to rejuvenate a struggling region. It sounds pretty incredible. I'm very excited to read it. Um, This woman, Cassie Chambers, grew up in the hills of Appalachia, and she traces her path out of and back into the Kentucky mountains. Her granny, she says, was a child bride who rose before dawn every morning to raise seven children. It sounds pretty incredible. It it sounds a little reminiscent of a few other books I've read recently, but I'm looking forward to it. The next book I have is a fictional book by Eowyn Culfer, who is the author of the Artemis Fowl series. It's called High Fire. This book is a hilarious and high-octane adult novel about a vodka-drinking, flash-dance-loving dragon who lives an isolated life in the bayous of Louisiana and the raucous adventures that ensue when he crosses paths with a 15-year-old troublemaker on the run from a crooked sheriff. It sounds pretty incredible. I like his, his kids' novels quite a bit, 
And this sounds really fun, kind of a genre bending fantasy. And uh, I'm, I think it'll be really exciting and fun. A, a good thing, sort of a, not necessarily a summertime novel <laughs> because it's not summer, but, but a real a good thing to disappear into in a rainy afternoon. The third book I got is something I'm really looking forward to. It's by the author of The Night Circus, Aaron Morgenstern. It's called The Starless Sea. And the blurb says, Far beneath the surface of the earth, upon the shores of the starless sea, there is a labyrinthine collection of tunnels and rooms filled with stories. The entryways that lead us to the sanctuary are often hidden, sometimes on forest floors, sometimes in private homes, sometimes in plain sight. But those who seek will find. Their doors have been waiting for them. It sounds very exciting, very fun. And then I have one more that I'm reading, a nonfiction book called Before and After the Book Deal, A Writer's Guide to Finishing, Publishing, Promoting, and Surviving Your First Book by Courtney Mom. I'm not writing my first book, but I, I feel like it, it's still really interesting information to have. There's a whole bunch of different authors who are quoted here. And all sorts of things that maybe I should have known before I started. <laughs> it's kind of a look before you leap kind of industry. Uh, I didn't look, I just leaped. And I've still been successful. But it's interesting to hear the advice from different professionals in the field in a different way. And there's all sorts of great authors like Roxanne Gay and R.O. Kwan and Rebecca Mackay. All kinds of different, just all different genres of authors. But it sounds fascinating. And I'm looking forward to that one too. I definitely have a large stack to get through. Um, and on that note, I wanted to remember to ask you guys, please, whenever you write in, don't hesitate to add your book recommendations. It's something I do all the time. I read voraciously and uh, I'm always looking for more. So thanks and enjoy your reading. Mm -hmm.